Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 23. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Jesus said to the woman who had a 12-year female problem, You remember? And the gynecologist had given up on her. And this woman came and she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, what happened? The virtue went out and felt something leave me. And Jesus turned to that woman and he said, be of good cheer. He said, your faith has made you whole. And that woman was healed that very same hour. Jesus is always saying, be of good cheer. Matthew 14, verse 27, the disciples find themselves caught in a storm and they're scared. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And Jesus is still saying, be of good cheer, even to us today. Because in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. Well, listen, when Jesus said, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age, he was talking to us because he wasn't talking to them because he knew that they would not live to the end of the age. So he was talking to us and he tells us to be of good cheer. In Hebrews chapter 13, he said, I will never, what? leave you or forsake you. He's always telling us to be of good cheer. So Paul, listen, is discouraged. He's kind of in the dungeon of doubt, if you will. Now, why, listen, why is Paul discouraged? Why is Paul depressed? Listen, it's as simple as this. Paul is discouraged and depressed because Paul didn't think, listen, that he did a good job at sharing his testimony. That's why. That's why the text says, Paul, be of good cheer, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must testify of me in Rome. Paul didn't think he did a good job of sharing his testimony. And from all outward appearance, it may look like he didn't do a good job. Remember last week, the Sanhedrin, they had heard the gospel five times. Paul stood before them, shared the gospel. Nobody got saved. As Paul went throughout Jerusalem and went throughout cities sharing the gospel, people didn't get saved. As a matter of fact, everywhere that Paul went and shared the gospel, a riot broke out. I told you last week, Paul had the riot ministry, man. I mean, he just as soon as he started sharing, people were like, no, I'm going to kill this guy. So Paul didn't think that his ministry was effective. Paul didn't think that, his, that he thought he was a failure as it relates to ministry. And now he's in prison and he's depressed. And Jesus says, Paul, cheer up. You've testified of me in Jerusalem. Or it could read this way. Paul, good job in Jerusalem. Good job in Jerusalem. 
Hardly anybody got saved. How could it be a good job? Because listen, saints, here's why it's a good job. And you listen close. Because God does not call us to be responsible for the results of our ministry. You understand that? Say amen. God, listen, God does not call us to be responsible for the results of our ministry. God sees things way different than we do. You see, we're looking at a ministry going, oh, man, I'm a failure. I just didn't do a good job. It's not working. Nothing's happening. And God is saying, no, from his perspective, it's a great job because God sees things different than we do. And God does not call us to be responsible to the results. God calls us to share our testimony and whatever the results are to God be the glory. Great things he has done. You see, in the church today, now I want you to listen close. In the church today, there is a misnomer. I understand what people mean by this, but it's not quite accurate. For example, how often have we heard people say, well, you know, I brought this person to Christ. Anybody ever heard that before? Good. Four people? Um, Okay. Let me do that again. You ever heard anybody say, I brought someone to Christ? Thank you. I understand what they mean, but that's not quite right. Listen, it is not our responsibility to bring men to Christ. I figured it'd be pretty silent when I said that. It is not our responsibility to bring men to Christ. It is our responsibility to bring Christ to men. This is a huge distinction we must make. It is not our responsibility to bring men to Christ. It is our responsibility to bring Christ to men. Don't you remember when Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We got to understand something. We cannot bring anyone to Christ. That is the work and the job of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says your responsibility is to lift me up. Your responsibility is to simply tell people about me. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to say, okay, you need to be saved. So as you're out there sharing the gospel with someone, the Holy Spirit is the one speaking to their spirit saying, you need to get saved. You need to be born again. You need to give your life to Jesus. Jesus loves you. Come. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. Come. The Holy Spirit speaking that in their spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one drawing them by his spirit, bringing them to Christ. And then you say, would you like to receive Christ? And because the Holy Spirit has been drawing them or wooing them to Christ, then they say, yeah, man, I want to be born again. You say, good, let's pray. But you didn't bring them to Christ. When's the last time you got up on a cross and died for somebody? Are you feeling me? You understand You never did, and you never will. That's not your responsibility. We're to bring Christ to men. And that's a very freeing thing for me. I don't know about you, but that frees me up completely. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. I don't know if y'all excited about it, but I'm preaching to myself. I love that. Because that frees me up because it makes me feel like I don't have to, like, because my greatest fear used to be share the gospel. And then you say, would you like to receive Christ? And they say, no. 
you know, what do I do now? You know, I don't know what to do now. Am I the only one? It's like my greatest fears. Like I didn't know what to say. And now that I understand the scriptures and I know that it's not my responsibility to save anybody. I can't save anybody. I'm just called to share my testimony. I'm just called to lift up Christ. I say, hey, would you like to receive Christ? They say no. I say, okay, well, I'll pray. I'll pray for you. Because see, our responsibility is just simply just sow the seeds. Let the Holy Spirit water and God will give the increase. You understand that? That's huge. I'll wait. And the reason why I point that out, because, again, there's a misnomer and a misunderstanding in the church. You will be set free if you simply say, I just am here to share my testimony, to tell you of the goodness of God, to tell you what God has done in my life and what God has done in my life. He can do in your life if you allow him to do that. Do you want him to do that? And they say, yes, you say, good, let's pray. They say, no, say, good. Can I pray for you? Even if they say no. I've never, ever met anyone, really, I never have, who refused prayer, even if they were the hardest atheists. Never. Never. I, I've, I've walked into hotel, uh, hotel rooms, um, hospital rooms. <laughs> Y'all know what I meant. Hospital rooms. And, uh, and I knew that this person wasn't a believer. I knew that. And I walked in. Sat and chatted with them and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm finna take off. Can, can I pray for you? I know they don't believe in prayer, but I don't pray because people believe in prayer or not. I pray because prayer is effective. Can I pray with you? Yeah. Well, uh, or they kind of awkwardly, you know, well, um, uh, 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 yeah, sure. Okay, well, hey, can I take your hand and pray for you? They're like, uh, uh, yeah. You know, take the hand, pray for him. It doesn't matter. So it's a very freeing thing to understand. And that's why God can say to Paul, Paul, be of good cheer. You did a good job in Jerusalem. And it would encourage his heart. And it would strengthen his heart as God would encourage him by telling him he did a great job. Now, I want you to notice something also. And then we're going to move on from verse 11. But look, Lord, I just got one verse done. All right, I'm going to need some help here. Y'all going to have to pray. All right, look at verse 11 again, because this is hugely important. Look at it. Paul, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must be a witness of me in Rome. Listen, it's very interesting. Give me your attention. It's very interesting in your Bibles to do a study on the word must. And if you take the time to do a study on the word must, you will find that there are Two very important verses with this word must. As a matter of fact, the two most important verses in the Bible have the word must in them. The two most important must. You'll find the first one in John chapter 3 verse 14. And it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I'll draw a man unto myself. John chapter three, verse 14. And then you have John chapter three, verse seven. And it says, do not marvel. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Remember, Nick came to Jesus at night. I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Nick at night. Jesus. (laughs) Nick came to Jesus at night. You know the story. He's all confused. He doesn't understand. And Jesus said, Nick, you can't figure this out. 
Jesus then went on to say in John chapter 3, Jesus says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Two most important must in the Bible. So God says to Paul, Paul, you gave a testimony in Jerusalem. You must give your testimony in Rome. Now, look at verse 12. You there? Say amen. And when it was day, in verse 12, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 of those guys. They had a conspiracy going. They came to the chief priest and the elders, and they said, We have bound ourselves under an oath, a great oath, that we will not eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought, he, Paul, be brought down to you tomorrow. See, here's a conspiracy as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we're ready to kill him before he comes near. And so when Paul's sister's son, Paul's nephew, heard of their ambush, he went and he entered the barracks and he told Paul. And then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man, take my nephew to the commander, for he has something to tell him. And so he took him and he brought him to the commander and he said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to tell you. Well, then the commander took him by the hand. I love that. I have that underlined in my Bible. It's just a nice, gentle moment. Took him by the hand went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. And so the commander let the young man in verse 22 depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Stop right there, saints. Give me your attention. Paul is probably having a good day now that Jesus showed up and encouraged him. And he thinks everything is great. Meanwhile, 40 guys decide to go on a hunger strike until they kill Paul. Now, I'm sure that most of these guys are thinking we're going to kill Paul you know, probably around lunchtime. I mean, right after lunch. We don't want to miss dinner, so we got to kill him. So they came to the chief priest and the elders, and they said, listen, we have made an oath, and we aren't going to eat anything until Paul is dead. And so they told Ananias to tell the commander to bring Paul down and tell them that they have need of him for more discussion. And when they bring him down, they said, we'll get him and we'll kill him. Notice in verse 16 in your Bibles, Paul's sister's son heard about the ambush plot and he went and told Uncle Paul. Listen, this is the only place, give me your attention, in the Bible that we find out anything about Paul's family. We know he had a sister. We know the sister had a son. Paul has a nephew. He's Uncle Paul. We also know from history that Paul was married. How do we know that? The Bible doesn't tell us, but history does because Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. In order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme High Court, you had to be married. So we know Paul was married. Then what brings us to the question, what happened to his wife? We don't know. 
It's very possible that she divorced him because when he became a Christian, he is now a member of the Jewish, uh, the Christian sect, those wacko Christians. And maybe his wife divorced him or maybe she even died. We don't know. But we do know he was married. We do know he had a nephew. And I want you to point out something very, very quickly. I want to point out something here. We can learn something. Did you notice? It just so happened that Paul's nephew was an earshot of this conspiracy. It just so happened that Paul's nephew, this little boy, heard them talking about killing his uncle. It just so happened that the events that happened here in this text set in motion God's whole plan to get Paul to Rome so that Paul can testify for Jesus in Rome, just like his word says. It just so happened, not, not for the Christian. Don't you see God is orchestrating this whole deal Don't you know that in the Christian life, there's no just so happen. Anything that happens in your life, God is in control of it. God is orchestrating situations and moving things around for his glory and for his purposes. I mean, that's how we can, you know, we can know God's will by trusting God. We can know God's plan and his purpose by trusting the fact that no matter what is happening, God is moving things. People ask me all the time, Rodney, how do I know God's will? How do I know how God is leading Well, you know God's will and you know how God is leading because, listen, God moves. Write this down if you're taking notes. God moves supernaturally natural. What do you mean, Rodney? Supernaturally natural. In other words, in natural everyday circumstances, God is moving and orchestrating situations in your benefit. He moves just like this. This kid is just so happened to be in earshot of this conspiracy. No, that's a natural situation that God is moving in. And and we don't need to see supernatural events to know and believe that God is moving. Amen, saints? We don't need that. You know, people are always looking for signs and wonders. You know, it makes me think of 1 Kings chapter 19 as Elijah was on the mountain thinking that God was going to do something big, that God was going to do something powerful. And a strong wind tore through the mountains and broke the rocks. And the Lord was not in the wind, the Bible says. And then there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then Elijah said, I heard a still, small voice. You know, many, many people think looking for God's will has to be some earth-shaking confirmation. Some bright fire or something has to happen that's big. You know, I've learned this here. The older I get in the Lord, the more I walk with the Lord, the less I need the earth shaking events and the more I need to learn to be sensitive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness? You understand that? That's true. We're looking for signs and wonders and God, how do I know your will? Well, you know, and I even said that my wife used to tell me God called me to be a pastor before I was a pastor. And I, and I said, yeah, well, when when a bright light shines in my room and God comes and speaks to me at the foot of my bed and grabs my toes and says, Rodney, I'm calling you. Then I'll know it's God, I used to say. Well, that never happened. And, and God began to speak even in a still, small voice. The older you get in the Lord, the less 
confirmations you need with signs and wonders. And the more sensitive you become to the Holy Spirit. So all he does is whisper a word and you hear and you move and you walk by faith. And you trust the Lord. You see, because God is moving supernaturally natural. How do things come together for the life of the Christian? Well, this happened and that happened and man, and that happened. Then I met that person and before you know it, wow, look what happened. Look what God did. That's how this church got going. That's how this church got going. God, God did a work here. It was just supernaturally natural. Things began to happen and now you got this big supernatural event that God does. That's how God moves. That's how God works. And here we have in this young man's life, he's just super, he's just naturally in this place. And he hears a word and, and, and he goes to Paul and Paul receives the news. And then he calls on one of the centurions and he says, would you take my nephew, Paul says, to the commander? He has something to tell him. Notice in verse 23 through 30. And he called in verse 23. Notice for, oh, I love verse 23. He called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter in the following manner. Here's the letter they sent with Paul. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix greetings. This man, Paul, was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them coming with the troops I rescued him. That is so not true. (laughs) Y'all know the story. Remember last week? He was just about to beat Paul. He had him bound and he would have beaten Paul if Paul didn't say, hey, man, you're breaking the Roman law, bro. And he goes, it's funny how the story changes. And, you know, oh, coming with the troops, I rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted in verse 28 to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before the council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions for their law of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me in verse 30 that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent them immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. End of letter. Farewell. Well, then in verse 31, the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by the night to Antipatus. And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul with him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, that would be a Roman providence, He said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium, which is the judgment hall. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Let me try to wrap it up here. The commander called two centurions and told them to get 200 soldiers prepared to go to Caesarea. And then he says, and while you're at it, give me 700 horsemen, 200 spearmen, And get them all ready by nine o'clock. And so what we have here, listen, saints, Paul is going to Rome first class with 472 armed guards taking him actually to Caesarea. That's why when the Bible says he Jesus said, you must preach in Rome, you must testify me in Rome. When God says must, he means what must it's going to happen. 
So God says, as a matter of fact, I don't want Paul walking. Put him on a horse and bring him to Felix, the governor. Now, this guy, Felix, we'll talk about it next week. But this guy, Felix, he has a wife. Her name is Drusilla. And uh, these guys are a trip. You'll, we'll talk about that next week. And so they sent letters with him. They sent this letter with him. And then in verse 31 through 35, the soldiers did exactly what they were told to do. They brought Paul to Antipatus, which is about 35 miles from Caesarea. And then from Caesarea on our Israel trip, we, we, we take this route. And then from Caesarea to Jerusalem is another 27 miles. And then Felix reads the letter and says, listen, when your accusers ri- arrive, we'll hear more from you. Now, listen. We got to wonder, remember the 40 guys who aren't going to eat until Paul is dead? <laughs> they got to be standing there and, and, and they're, they're looking at Paul as he's being escorted by 472 soldiers. And they're standing there looking at each other thinking, whose lame brain idea was this? <laughs> now we're never going to eat. We're all going to die. And then the Bible tells us that then they get this. Not only did Paul get this, did he go to Rome first class? But then God got him set up at a nice resort. What do you mean? Because we'll visit there on our next trip to Israel. Herod's Praetorium is right there on the Mediterranean. It is the most beautiful thing you have ever seen. And it's in this place. Paul got there first class and then God gave him, uh, put him in a resort environment. And it's just beautiful. And he'll stay there for two years. I like that. Man, that's a two year vacation. I love it. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.